Uh, we've had the lovely pleasure of hosting these guys this week. We didn't know them uh, before this week, but there's something special about the family of churches that we relate to. It's just so easy to get to know people. A lot of people, you've had other people from NTMI churches in your homes this week. Thank you so much for doing that. I think you'll agree there's something that happens in, in the, the network of churches that we're a part of called NCMI. And these guys are from Detroit, from Border City Church. They've been going for a couple years now. Uh, Minda, why don't you just yeah. introduce you guys? Good morning, everybody. So I'm Minda. This is Paul. Uh, we live in Detroit, Michigan. We've got two sons. Peter's 14. John David is 11. We've been there two and a half years. And before that, we were in South Africa leading a church. We spent eight years in South Africa. And that's where we first connected with NCMI. And uh, God called us back to the U.S., even though we weren't planning on it. But we're so thrilled to be there. And if you don't know, Detroit is on the border of Canada. There's just a river separating us. So literally every day we see Canada. And so it's in our hearts. The nation is in our hearts. And so we just made a decision that we want to partner more into this nation. And so we are so privileged to be here today. Honestly, it is such an honor to be a part of something that's been going for so many years. Such a rich history. And we just love being a part of who you are. So thank you for having us. Awesome. Let's just pray for Paul as he brings the word. Lord God, we just thank you for this man. We thank you, Lord, that you've called this couple to do amazing, great things, Lord God. Just hearing their stories, different things they walk through, you just see a faithful, faithful couple that are before us today. We ask you to be with Paul as he speaks, be speaking to him, Lord God, and let us open our hearts here this morning and ears. Uh, If there's any hard-heartedness or anything like that, just pray that you soften us right now, Lord God, so we hear the things in truth through your word, Lord God. And Lord, have your work done here today. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Sandy. Good morning, everybody. It really is such a privilege to be here. Um, you know, and I want to appreciate just Mike and Debs for the invitation to come and the rest of the eldership team. And again, you know, just thank you guys for hosting this equip. On behalf of the NCMI team, thank you guys. You did an a, uh, a outstanding job, and I think a lot of people felt very loved, so, including myself. So thank you very much. Um, what I'm going to be sharing this morning, I, uh, I sense a, I've been sensing a kind of a prophetic sense, um, and I'm also going to be bringing a teaching. <laughs> so um, there's two parts, and I know it's summer in Nanaimo, and you want to get out of here and do your thing, uh, but we do have kind of two, two, I want to share kind of a prophetic sense that I've been feeling for this church, and, and then uh, we're going to look at the call that God's given to us as the church from Isaiah 61. So I have been sensing, and if I can um, deliver this well, uh, I, I really feel in my heart something for Mike and Deborah, and, um, but because they are the ones who are called to lead the, and, and have been the ones called to plant this church, there's something that as they walk with Jesus, it opens up something for the rest of the church. Does that make sense? And so we don't like worship the lead elder. They're not Jesus. I, we get that. But nonetheless, when God calls a leader, there's something specific that he does through them that the rest of the people following get to walk in. And I actually feel that this, this word that I'm sensing is very much, I feel the heart of the father towards Mike and Deborah of just the, the like a proud dad who is so proud to have seen his son and his daughter be faithful with what he gave them. And that there is something of a increased dimension of what has been promised them, what has been put in their hearts coming to fruition in the season ahead, I feel. And I, I want to say that publicly because I believe that that's not just Mike and Deborah. That's because of what I just explained. That's the whole of Oceanside Church. And if you'll look with me to Revelations chapter 3, if you've read the intro to Revelations, Jesus is speaking to seven different churches, and uh, for the most part, he's giving a kind of a rebuke. Actually, it starts with usually an affirmation of some kind, and then he lets them have it, some kind of rebuke, but then there's some kind of a promise given that if he will respond to the correction and the adjustments that's needed, if the church will respond to the correction that's needed, a promise associated with what they will walk into uh, after that. And there's one particular church in Revelations chapter 3, verse 7, 
that doesn't get any kind of correction. And I actually sensed as I was just praying over this church in the last couple of weeks that the Lord, it's kind of like the heart of the Lord just wanting to affirm this church. And, um, and it, it, you know, it's kind of like there's no real cor- correction. And as a leader, I always want to be willing to give correction. Not that I would come here and correct. You guys don't even know me yet. Uh, so I'm not just kind of giving you the easy thing to say, but I honestly feel like the Holy Spirit, Jesus himself, wanting to just affirm the things that this church has walked out. And before I even move any further, can I ask, 22 years, right? How many of you were here 22 years ago in the planting of this church? One. <laughs> I see one hand. That's so cool. And I mean, that's not cool that people left or whatever. It's, it's, <laughs> what's, what's awesome is the fruit of, what, of the growth. How many of you have been here over the past 10 years in this church? as parts of this church. How many of you have come in here within the past two to three years? That is, that is so wonderful what God's done in this place. I believe that there is more coming. And, um, you know, NCMI, uh, as, a, as a team, it was started in, it wasn't even, it almost kind of haphazardly happened, if I can say. It's not like people decided to start an apostolic team and to start planting churches it was actually some guys who had just had horrible experiences in denominations, some church leaders who were booted, who found each other and started to dig into the scriptures to find out, Lord, if, it's, if church isn't supposed to look like that, then what is it supposed to look like? And finding the original biblical patterns. And you know, what was started as something that was going to take the gospel through church planting into nations started in South Africa. Have you ever seen South Africa on a map? It doesn't really make a lot of sense. If you're wanting to reach Africa, very strategic place to start something like that. If you're wanting to reach the nations of the earth, not a strategic place. And you know, God uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wisdom of the wise. And I believe that, if I'm not mistaken, this is the first partnering church in Western Canada. Is that right? If it's not, let's just say it is. It sounds good. I'm sure it's one of the first. First ones, and, and in my logic, to go to the island off the side that's like you got to take a ferry or a seaplane to get to is not highly strategic. And God called, there's something of a against all odds nature to what we're called to do. And I believe that it is strategic in the sense of confounding the wisdom of the wise that God has birthed this church in spite of the odds. That you guys have been faithful as a church with what he's given you to do. And there is, just like NCMI, something birthed that now is touching every inhabitable continent on the face of the earth. That out of this church is coming way more than what you and I even dream of. Because you've been faithful. And in Revelations chapter 3 verse 7... It says, these, uh, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right. And if we can pause there, Philadelphia literally means the city of brotherly love, if you translate it from the original Greek. And I believe that the Lord's wanting to even speak that as an affirmation over this church, that there's something of brotherly love in the context of this church that he wants to affirm. Community, family, just bonding. Uh, even, even the announcement thing that we just saw. It's such a testimony of the fun. And I believe that that brings pleasure to heaven. These things, says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. Now, if you look at how Jesus reveals himself to each of these seven churches in Revelations 2 and 3, it's not just random Uh, He who is holy, he who is true. It's not just a bunch of religious jargon being tossed out there. It's specific to how Jesus is wanting to reveal himself to that church. Making sense? And how Jesus reveals himself uniquely to you and to, to you and to me and to whatever church that we happen to be a part of is indicative of the calling of what aspect of his nature that he wants that church to walk out. Am I making sense? And I believe that these descriptors here are pertinent to Oceanside. He who is holy, 
that Jesus has revealed himself as other than, which is another way of looking at that word holy, separate from. And there's something of a bold leadership that I believe Mike and Deborah and those that have been with them have been willing to even do church in a different way than, than what, is, what is normal. Or to just walk in a way that may be looked at as strange, but they don't care because they see it in Jesus. Holy, separate from. He was holy, he was true. And true, being dependable, faithful. Not saying one thing and doing the other, but able to carry out what they say. And I believe Jesus is revealing himself in that way to you, but he is also commending that you have been true as a church. And he who has the key of David which speaks of authority, access, the ability to access resource, to open up doors that no man can shut, to access regions, to access nations and and people groups. He has authority to do that. And guess what? Because you have seen him as the one with all authority, he's actually going to manifest that very same authority through you that he would access nations people groups, neighborhoods, social circles, resources through you. So verse eight, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word and have not denied my name. Just ponder that. The Lord saying, I know your works. And I believe that he's saying that even over Oceanside Church. I know your works. That's a holy thing. I, I see what you have done. And there's something of some faithfulness that, is, that has happened over a 22-year history of just contending for what Jesus has called this church to do and contending for it and standing in that place. I know your works, Jesus says. I'm seeing it and see Because of that, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. And I just have this sense that there is in this coming season, I don't know what time frame that would look like, but I do have a sense of God saying that he's opening a door, if not doors, in this church that no man can shut. No man can shut. New doors of influence, new doors of resource, new doors of of reaching other people groups with this gospel. No man can shut. And the whole reason, listen to this, for you have a little strength and have kept my word. And oftentimes we read this passage of scripture and we think, we, we, we get this picture of like this Christian, like, you know, like, I'm, like I've been obedient to Jesus and I'm barely like making it. This has just been so bad. That's not, that's not the idea of the scripture. It's actually saying you naturally don't have a lot of resource. Nanaimo, it's this island off to the side and... and it's, it's not central. It's not strategic in that sense. You have, a little, you have little strength. You have little natural robustness. But because in spite of that fact, you have kept my word. You've still maintained the course and done what I've called you to do. You've not by den- uh, denied my name. Indeed, I will, verse 9, make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. And I believe that that just speaks of people who have scoffed or laughed or thought you strange for what you're doing. And as you contend for what Jesus has called you to do, despite the fact that other people don't understand or see the same thing you do, that there will come a day where those very same people will see that Jesus has loved you and say, I want what you've got and come into this place and worship him as you stand here. Because you have kept my command to persevere, which actually, if I could say, if you really look at the original language, it would probably be better translated, because you have kept my word with endurance. You haven't, you haven't failed, you haven't stopped, you've kept enduring. I also will keep you for, from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Hold fast what you have. Now, I believe the Lord just saying, it's not that it's, you actually already have 
the thing that he appreciates and the very thing that will cause this new day, new open doors to thrive. It's not like you need to walk into some new thing where you've got to get this new strategy and become this new church. You already have the very thing that heaven celebrates that will cause the doors to open up in the first place. And you know what it is? It's being faithful with what he says. If you can just hold fast to that, just do what he says, he's going to open up doors that no man can shut because all he needs is a people who will believe him and do what he says. And with those people, he can do anything. And he can trust the care of other people to those people. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He shall go out no more. Now, I don't really suppose I know fully what it means to be a pillar in the temple of, of, of his God, but I'm sure it's a good thing. And I do believe that it certainly speaks at least of this, weight being placed upon you. And going out no more and coming in no more would speak of not doing this and not doing that, but having a concrete sense of identity and being placed in your place in the call of God, weight being placed, something of stability that becomes an in, integral part of what it is that he's building on a larger scale. And I believe, uh, I believe that this church is going to see more of that. I will write on him, you know, and, and I also speak, it speaks of identity, which is the very next thing he says, I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out from heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So I just wanted to release that over to, to the church. I just believe the, the um, you know, I'm a dad, and I can identify a little bit with what it's like when, you're, when your sons do, or your daughters do, what, what it is that you want them to do, and I just sense the Lord, even in the midst of this current trial that that couple are going through, the Lord, <laughs> having a, from a, seeing from a bigger picture of such a smile down up upon them and upon this whole church for your faithfulness. What would these new open doors look like and influence? What is the purpose? Of, it's a lot of grandiose ideas. Why, why does God open up doors? That's what we want to look at this morning. If you can turn with me to Isaiah 61, the first four verses. And we're going to look at what is, in fact, the call, the mission of Jesus. Now, how many of you know, if you have received Jesus, that he dwells inside of you, and there's not like a Jesus bee that dwells inside of you? Am I right? It's not like some different Jesus that we read about in the Gospels, but now like, we've got this like, New Testament church Jesus, and he's the one who lives inside of me, and, and uh, it's just different. The, Jesus is still doing, and after, the exact same thing today that he was 2,000 years ago. The only difference is, instead of doing it through his earthly body, he is now doing it through the church, which is, in fact, his earthly body, many members making it up. So he's still doing the same thing. It, your life fits into the context of his mission. And when he began his ministry in Luke chapter 4, we're not turning there now, the very first thing that we do, see Jesus doing after he's baptized in the Spirit and he, and he comes back and he starts to preach is he reads this passage of Scripture, Isaiah 61. And it serves as the mission statement for what he was about to do because he read this scripture and he says, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. Let's read this scripture and then we're going to break into it. Are you ready? The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news or the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. If we can pause there. The first thing that we read is a status, it's a state, it's a condition that the Spirit of the Lord God is upon Jesus. And that Spirit of the Lord is upon him to do something called preaching the gospel to the poor. We come from the city of Detroit, or at least for the last two and a half years we do. 
And there's a lot of poor people, broken economically people. But this idea of poor is not just the economically disenfranchised. It is any human being who has a need, who has a, 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 some sense of brokenness. It's poverty of spirit. How many does that apply to, by the way? If you're human, you're poor in this world. To preach the gospel to the poor. So there's, it starts as a state, a, a status, a condition. The spirit of the Lord God is upon because of the purpose of preaching the gospel to the poor. But then it shifts to why preach the gospel to the poor? What's the context of preaching the gospel to the poor? Is it just so that a bunch of people apparently don't go to hell, they go to heaven? And they kind of like enter this thing called church and they pay tithes and they go to community group stuff and they, whatever, try, try to not sin? Why is this gospel going to these people described as poor? He has sent me, mission. So it shifts over to mission, sent me to heal the brokenhearted. How many of you know the kingdom of heaven is actually supposed to heal areas that are broken in your heart? To heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console or to appoint those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning. This actually does sound like good news. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Pause there. We shift again. So we've talked about our, st- our status, our condition of being anointed to preach. The mission that serves as the context for doing that, which is healing the brokenhearted, liberation from captivity and being appointed into place. And then the result is where we're about to go into now. That they would be called, who are they by the way? I know it's a big crowd. Anybody want to be daring and, and guess? The poor. Those who were once described of as poor. See, here's the beauty is that the gospel isn't just like this message that you hear and receive and then wait, wait for Jesus to return or wait for you to die. The gospel, the kingdom of heaven, the work of the gospel is to bring you through to a transformation of life. To where that which once was described as poor becomes the planting of the Lord. Trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. And they, who are they? Those who had once been described as poor, they shall rebuild old ruins. Every person that you are called to impact is ultimately called to be somebody whose life becomes transformed and enters into the same process that you're in of bringing rebuilding to ruins around you. The harvesters, the laborers in the harvest are actually found in the harvest. They don't know the Lord of the harvest today until somebody opens up their mouth. They are the very ones who are going to cause this thing to spread. They shall raise up the former desolations and they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. And so what we're going to talk about over the next few minutes is this thing of the first part being our state, the second part of our mission, and that third part of the result in the hopes that our eyes this morning would just be open. The eyes of our hearts would be open to the what is the context of my life, of your life, of my life, our life. What, What are we even here for? Why do we exist as church? To have a, have, a, have a vision, a loftier vision of what Jesus has called you and me to do. Are you ready? So let's start in the, uh, the end and we'll work our way back to the front. Starting at re- the, uh, the result. Verse 4. And they shall build, rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. What is this idea of being a rebuilder of ruins? It's simply this thing that Jesus commissioned his church to do in Matthew chapter 28. When he left and went into heaven and he gave the final uh, commandments to his followers, he told them in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. Rebuilding ruins is simply just another Old Testament term and way of saying making disciples. It's, and what is making disciples? 
So some of you already, I, I lose you, some, some of you already, you're like, oh, okay, I'm making this out, I, that's not for me. I'm just going to come to church and see what other people do. Making disciples is this. Let's make it simple. It's following Jesus, and in an authentic relationship with Jesus, he does stuff in your life. He speaks to you. He starts to do stuff, starts to challenge stuff in your heart and in your life. And as you respond to what he's doing, it transforms your life. And then you turn around and realize you have the ability to help somebody else who's gone through that same thing. That's what making disciples is. In in one shape, form, or another. It could happen over a coffee table. It could happen over some like long-lasting relationship. Disciple making can happen through a conversation on the phone. You, You follow what I'm saying? That's what rebuilding ruins is. So... We uh, have this really cool thing at, at Border City Church. We've we, uh, just started to pray and ask God for open doors to influence in, in, in our uh, community, you know, and um, in Detroit. And uh, as a leadership team, we prayed and we're asking God, God, we, we need doors to open up where we can take this thing that we, we know you've called us to do, where we can actually impact other people. And that was on a Sunday afternoon. I kid you not, and there was just something of an agreement in the room as we prayed. The very next day, uh, two different things happened of of different doors that opened up of ministry into the community that now stand as like major things that we give attention to as a church. One of those is a men's shelter called Detroit Rescue Mission, Detroit Rescue Mission Ministries, DRM, we call it. And uh, it's a shelter for men who are just down on their luck and need a place to kind of maybe are, have, have lost their home or whatever and need a place to kind of be, to stabilize until they can get back on their feet. And so I, I, called, I called them up and said, you know, look, we're not looking at preaching at this group of men who are in your place. We don't want to just like, you know, preach at them. What we want to do is build relationship. We want to have discussion and conversation and anything that we have in our lives that can actually help these guys, that's what we want to do. And the guy who facilitates this thing said, this is amazing. I didn't tell anybody this. He said, I've been praying for the past number of months that, because he said, we've got endless churches who want to come and preach at our people, or like associate pastors who like want to, you know, try out their skills and like preach at them. Every single night, they've got a church that will come in and preach. He says, I've been praying that somebody would come and just help mentor these guys. I said, well, sign us up. And so we went in there. The first time that we went in there, uh, this guy, Andrew, um, and let me assure you, we've, we've encountered some <laughs> I mean, there are some broken situations, but this guy, Andrew, had been through a divorce, lost his job. It was, I mean, he, he, he had once been kind of in a, a stable place, lost everything. Couldn't believe himself that he found himself living in a rescue uh, uh, shelter and just shared some authentic stuff with this guy. And it began to lift his eyes to see hope, to see that Jesus actually had a plan for him. And over a period of time, he he kind of gave his life back to Jesus and then he started getting bit, uh, integrated into the church community and then he's got like a, found a, a, a girlfriend and he's on course to, to ultimately getting married to her he's got a job now he's a manager at a Tim Hortons for you Canadians <laughs> I'd never heard of Tim Hortons being, anyways until <laughs> till recently in my life it's, it is all over Ontario, I assure you that. He's a manager at, at a Tim Hortons. He's got a stable income. He's got a new car all of a sudden. Like things are starting to happen. And, and, but what he's most excited about in his life without the shadow of a doubt is he's passionately going with us back into that Detroit Rescue Mission Ministries wanting to tell every guy that he can what God is doing in his life. And you can have this too. Rebuilder of ruins. And let me tell you, Andrew... He doesn't have it all together, (laughs) like me. You know, I mean, there's like, we're, there's, there's, you know, there's some changing of diapers with this guy, but it's so beautiful seeing the real thing that's happening in his life of being a rebuilder of ruins. This is what we're called to do. what What I'm getting at is there are countless people around all of us in our office, in our neighborhood, in our whatever, who you, you and I may see as, oh, that person, or that, that person that annoys me, or, you know, whatever, natural definition that we give to people. Jesus sees them as a rebuilder of ruins. 
and to look with prophetic eyes at the people around us and to see every single human has been called to be a rebuilder of ruins. He just needs some of his own people to get in the mission, to get into the harvest with the harvest mentality to see it come to fruition. Isn't that good? David Bennett, I could throw him in there. I shouldn't mention his last name. Edit that out, please. David, we will call him. Uh, Actually, let's not even say anything about him. Let's just move on. <laughs> let's just keep it to Andrew. Let's look at verses, the, half, the second half of verses 1 through 3 to talk about the mission quickly. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console, which really is, would be better translated as a point set in place, those who mourn in Zion. So you've got three parts here. Healing the heart. That's one, the first thing that the gospel does. Connecting us back to the love of God through Jesus. Liberating from us from captivity. Do you know, my friends, that the sins and the things and even the self-defeating cycles of thought that we that we have in our lives, we don't have to live in that prison. That there's truth that is higher than the lies that we believe. And through relationship with the Holy Spirit and relationship with the church, with people who have received something of truth, we can receive truth and renew our minds to live free from things that that actually hold us in bondage. And that is the beautiful part of what the church is called to do, to to. Uh, proclaim liberty to, to the captives and then uh, appointing to those who mourn in Zion. So let's look at this thing of healing the heart. Another little DRM story, if I can indulge you with that. So we go into this, um, one of these meetings that we have and we're just kind of sharing again at this rescue mission and in, at the beginning of the meeting, you know, these guys come in and man, they're, they're I mean, some of them are, um, they're homeless and some of them, are, they're from varied backgrounds. And in Detroit, a lot of those backgrounds include guns and drugs and, I mean, cr- heavy stuff. And this one dude comes in, and he is, uh, he's, no, he's no happy-looking person. You know, he's, he just has this, like, he looks like he wants to punch you in the face. Have you ever men- mentioned one of those guys, seen like that? He just looks like he wants to, he just looked at me. And I remember, like, doing my, my, my pastor thing, you know, like, hey, welcome. And he just looks at me like, you know, I'm like, oh, geez, this is going to be a fun morning. And uh, so we share and all this stuff and, uh, you know, just authentic, real stuff. He was sitting there in the corner, kind of like looking at us, kind of, uh, you could see he was sussing us out. And then uh, at the end of the meeting, we had determined we don't just go in there just to share stuff and words, that we actually want to facilitate something of the Holy Spirit. Because ultimately, it is encountering, encountering Jesus that actually heals the broken heart. And that happens by the spirit of God, not the wisdom of our doctrine and theology. Something about the anointing of the Holy Spirit, that, it, that, that alone enables us. And so we just wanted to make ourselves as uncomfortable as it can be. Just wanted to facilitate something. And so I lean in to the spirit and, what, Lord, do you want to say anything? And you know what he does? Gives me a word for this dude. And all I knew is his name was Mr. White. Everyone else says, I'm Brian, I'm Tim, I'm whatever. This guy didn't even give me his first, I'm, I'm Mr. White. And so I had a word for Mr. White. I'm like, oh, Jesus, now. <laughs> like, this is going to fall flat. This is going to ruin the end of our meeting. Because I'm going to share it, he's going to look angry, and everyone's going to feel awkward. And, and, I, and I just said to Mr. White, I said, I feel like, Mr. White, that there's, there's some significance to your name and that you feel like you have done things that make you dirty and unacceptable to this God that we've been talking about all morning long. And I believe that the Lord is wanting to say, I just feel I'm looking at you saying, I, I see you through my son as white, as, as pure. And he looked at me and with those eyes and I was like, okay. <laughs> I didn't know what was going on. He came up to me after the meeting and he, he was like a, he was like a magnet to me. 
he was, he was wanting every single bit that he could get from me of anything. And as I was talking to him, he wanted to exchange numbers. He wanted to see, you know, he just wanted me to share more about what, what I was feeling. And I realized this guy has never received affirmation from anybody and just soaking it up and the spirit of God wanting to do that. And so what I want to encourage you with is to not just, as we go about on our mission, it's not just sharing only the message. It is the message. But the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. It's got to be the spirit and the word. And as much as we want to deliver a message, let's equally make it important that we want to lean into the spirit and allow him to lead us. Now that may seem like far off and like for the advanced Christians to some of you, it's actually just relational. It's just, it's just having a heart that, that, that says, Holy Spirit, use me. And being crazy enough to step out when he wants to. And you know what? You're going to step out and you'll miss it sometimes. And that's okay. <laughs> you know? Sometimes you'll step out and you'll share it and the other person doesn't receive it. That's okay. Jesus did that a lot too. So let's do that. It says that you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses. This thing of being a witness of him is, is fueled with power. And you know where that power comes from, guys? I've got a friend, uh, an amazing guy. He, he leads the church that we used to lead in Johannesburg uh, that before we handed it over and moved to Detroit, Anton Cater. And he is just a man of the passion of intimacy with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And, uh, he was in, and he was telling us that he separated the other Sunday 50 minutes before church began just to spend time waiting on God. 50 minutes. And, um, and he said he sat there in his room. And as he does, he sat down and just waited. Not, not, not going through the prayer list, not praying about the, the preach and the message, not praying through all the stuff that he's worried about, just waiting. For the, for, the, for the presence of the Holy Spirit to say what the Holy Spirit wants to say. That makes sense? We oftentimes go with our prayer list. Sometimes we just need to wait. And he said he waited. And then he had to shift around because he was getting uncomfortable. And then his mind was drifting. 49 minutes goes by feeling nothing. Waste of time. He said in that 49th minute felt the Holy Spirit's presence and things dropped into a spirit that fueled everything that he was doing in that service that day. So what I'm wanting to say, you want to know, know how to walk in something of the Spirit? Wait. Just spend time prioritizing waiting. Not your prayer list, his presence. And see what he deposits into your life. He'll, get, he'll speak to you about people. He'll speak to you about the day ahead. He'll speak to you about amazing things. We'll never know until we wait. Let's go on to this next, so, so it's, the mission is to heal the brokenhearted and there's to proclaim liberty to the captives. Matthew 28, I referenced it earlier, says, go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, that's cool, we're doing that today, in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. That's what discipleship is. Everything, how many of you have ever had Jesus command something of you in your life? By raise of hand, he's taught you something. He's led you into something of obedience. Everything that you have done in response to him speaking to you becomes something that you then have authority in to teach another person how to observe that very thing. That's discipleship, that's what we're called to do. Which would say, the more that I hear Jesus speak to me, the more opportunities I have to obey, the more I have in my arsenal to give away. And some of you are fussing about what Jesus is wanting to lead you and you're bucking and you're kicking against what he's trying to do. That is your calling you're bucking against. I thought that was better than you did. So let me give you an example of that very thing. And I'm going to be uber vulnerable with you if, if you can be okay with that. I, I did not grow up in church. And uh, at the age of nine, my, my brother, uh, my older brother uh, uh, and his friends introduced me to pornography. And that became the, the, incept, the orientation that I had about sexuality throughout the entirety of my childhood. 
When I became a Christian at, in my senior year of high school, that's all I knew. So I had the spirit of God suddenly living inside of me, but I had thoughts and patterns of thought that were so deeply entrenched that I was in a jail cell. And the longer I lived in that thing and the addiction associated with it, the more prisoner I felt of not being able to just walk through life without having sexually perverted thoughts going through my head. We okay with this? Just being real. Prison cell. Prison cell. It's horrible. And uh, in my sophomore year of college, lying on a bed, repenting. And Lord, I've got to, I, I need something. I, you, you've got to give me something. And in that moment, I just felt the presence of the Lord and the most simple thing. It wasn't like the angel Gabriel appeared to me. It wasn't something like amazing. It was just this simple little nudge, easy thing. But I just had this understanding drop in my spirit. Every single girl, every single female, God sees them the way my father sees my sister. That it's his daughter. And suddenly the idea of being a sex object, it, it was like totally foreign. Like it doesn't even fit into that paradigm of thinking. And I, and I realized how, whoa. <laughs> I realized in that moment that there's a whole other way of looking, an alternative way, a higher way of looking than I've ever known. All, all I knew was what the world had put into me, but what displaces that is a higher, more powerful truth that the Holy Spirit communicates to those who are following Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter 3 that unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And that is what happened in that moment. Is it's simply that calling out to my father for help, he enabled me through his spirit to see a reality that had always existed in heaven, that he, every, every woman in this planet is simply a daughter of God, precious like, their, like, like his flower, something to be cared for and tended to and, and loved and and, and, and that sort of thing, and, and, and taken care of, and, and, uh, and, and that even if a woman sees herself as a sex object, I now have something to, in my arsenal, to combat that thought. And I went off into the campus the next day and the next days, and, uh, and I, was, I was perfect from there on out. It was a war over the next number of months, every time temptation came, to displace that old way of thinking and choose to believe in that moment of temptation, a new way of thinking. And, and I still struggled, and I still struggled, and I still, but then the struggles became fewer and further between, fewer and further between, and then one day I realized, I'm free. I don't struggle with this thing anymore. Amazing. I'm not saying like I'm asexual or something or that, you know, there's no temptation ever. Don't get me wrong, but there's a huge difference between having something that is gripping you and controlling you from the inside to a little wimpy voice coming from the outside. This is the thing of proclamation of liberty is that there are people all around you and me in the office, in the neighborhood, who are bound and Jesus has already freed them. And if we can connect them to him, they can be free, that they can also then go ahead and set other people free. It was torturous, that process of deliverance, but little did I know through that, through that process, I was being delivered for my good, but so that I ultimately could help out countless other men, and sometimes even women, who have struggled with that exact same thing. And it's so good, you know, like to stand on the other side of victory and be able to help somebody and see their life change because of the pathway of obedience that I walked with him. What a, what a, you can only give away the freedom that you actually have. If you look with me quickly, Matthew 7. Can we as a church just agree with this right now? That we will not try to impose our moral standards upon other people that we don't even walk in ourselves. Can we stop doing that as the church, please? So it can become easier to evangelize people. 
so many, maybe it's not the same in Canada. God knows it's the way in America. It's like just hypocritical. Anyways, I shouldn't say this. I love the church in America. Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5. Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Listen to this. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. That's, that's epidemic in some parts of the church, constantly trying to help other people, and we ourselves don't even like walk in freedom ourselves. Hypocrite. But he's not saying, as many believers have tried to run the other direction and say, oh, you know, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. And I'm just not even going to preach anymore because that's preachy and people are going to be offended. And I'm not going to, it's not about teaching people. I'm just going to show love. I'm just going to do that. No, Jesus doesn't say that. He doesn't say don't help people. That what you're trying to do is good. But he says, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. If I tried to help other young Christian men get freed from pornography when I was still in that bondage, it would not have gone well. It would have been a whole bunch of condemnation and, oh, you need to do this and this. I I wouldn't have actually walked the path to freedom to know how to tell somebody else to walk it. But it's as you follow Jesus through what he's leading you, you then see clearly to help your brother out. And that is powerful, my friends. So this is what I would say to you. Find God's word in each season that he's speaking to you and cling to it with everything you've got. It is your navigating source of power through the storms that will blow through, through the, through the uh, strongholds that will try to grip your life. It's God's word that delivers you. And if you can grab onto what he's speaking to you to bring deliverance to you, you will then be able to speak that word with authority to somebody else. And number two is to simply remind you of this. Your appointing, do you remember how I said that it ends with the poor being appointed in place? And guess who is included in the poor? All of us. We're all to be appointed into a place of ministry and calling in God. Your appointing is all about you ministering the healing and the freedom that you've received. That's what it is. What you, what you receive as you walk with Jesus becomes that which you give away through your calling. And so let's look at that. Verse 3, to console or to appoint. That word, would, with that same Hebrew word translated as console or appoint is actually the same word that was used elsewhere in the Old Testament to speak of like the, candle, to, the setting in place of candle stands in the temple or the ordaining of, uh, of priests. It's setting into place to appoint to those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. And so what does this look like? I think it looks like people being in the process of being healed in their broken heart. Looks like people who are receiving something of liberty, coming out of prisons. And it looks like people then being established in their God-given identity. You've got, the world has put something on you of what you are. You've got you thinking what you think you need to be. But there is nothing that will ever replace having through relationship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit, him speak to you and you have something inside of you that identifies what he's speaking over your life and you know this is who I am. This is who I'm called to be. This is what I'm called to do. That will set a fire in your bones like nothing else. Identity. And it is a critical part of the restoration that Jesus has accomplished at the cross is establishing us with a father And a father places his name upon us and gives us identity. That's what it is. And when I became a Christian early on, there was a a young lady named Kelly Edenfield. And she was like a little evangelist in our campus ministry. And she came to me and she gave me this notebook. Now, for some of you who don't know what that is, that's a thing with paper and you you write with a pen or a pencil. This was uh, back in the 90s. And 
And she gives me this notebook and she said, I felt like the Lord told me to buy this for you because as you read his word and as you just spend time with him, he's going to speak things to you. And, and I feel like he wants you to write those things down. And in my young, just receiving whatever anyone was going to give me, I received this, that I need to be spending time with the Lord and that when I do, he wants to speak to me. That's pretty cool, right? And so I just started doing that deeply. And uh, as, as I did, the Lord did start to speak to me. And, uh, and I went away and, and, and I began to see into the things of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, I went away for, for, for summer, the summer break and I spent about four months in just d- drilling into scripture. And I began to see into the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. I began to, my eyes and my heart, it was like God just speaking to me and I writing profusely all this stuff down. And as I began to do that, you know what started to happen? I started to feel like this stuff needs to get, be preached. And uh, that was a horrifying thought, by the way. That was like a rebuke you, you evil thought. <laughs> Standing in front of people and speaking was the biggest fear of my life. I was horribly petrified of it. The whole other issue of freedom that Jesus had to walk me through. But I began to sense desires in my heart. And hear this, Psalms 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And it's the desires that he puts in your heart as you delight yourself in him that begin to reflect to you what you're called to do. Isn't that good? What he's called you to do isn't just this, you gotta be willing to go to Mongolia as a missionary for Jesus and eat all their weird food. He moves through you by placing desires. Sure, there may be parts of you that are uncomfortable with those desires, but there is desire. And that is what fuels you to be willing to do what you otherwise would not be able or willing to do, to do the will of God. And that is how you discover identity, is simply delighting yourself in the Lord. Let's, and let's bring all this, just, just a couple of thoughts around that. I would say indulge in Jesus. Indulge in him. In him. Not in devotions. Not in your discipline of Bible study. We need to, we need to do those things, but make sure that it's indulging in him. Being with him. Where he can impregnate you with desires that eventually are going to grow up into becoming something through you. It's like a seed being planted out of heaven into your heart that eventually materializes through your life. Secondly, I would say make the goal of discipleship to be setting in place to rebuild. In other words, it's not just endless counseling people or helping them through their problems. There's a goal of discipleship and it's seeing them become the planting of the Lord, strong, set in their place of identity, rebuild of ruins. Thirdly, you become a rebuilder of ruins as you discover your calling. Best way to minister to other people is from a place of knowing who you are. But can I tell you a paradox about this? You discover your calling as you get busy with rebuilding ruins. I know that may seem paradoxical or it's, it's at the same time true. Just trust me. <laughs> Get busy now. Don't wait. I still don't know the fullness of what I'm called to do because I don't know the fullness of Jesus. And the more I know him, the more I know who I am in him. So I'm not ready yet, but I'm doing it. So just get busy doing it, but in the context of indulging in him and discovering him more and more. And then finally, so recap, our mission is to make rebuilders of ruins. Would you agree? You better. It's to make rebuilders of ruins. And that happens in the process of the gospel truth and relationship with Jesus and church community bring healing and, pro- and liberty to people. And all of that is set on the premise And we're about to close. I'm not going to go into some long other point just to put you at ease. I know you want to go 
do your salmon eating or whatever it is that you do. <laughs> go, go out to the, the Douglas fir trees and breathe in the fresh air. I don't know. What you, All of what I just described is premised on our state, our condition that you find at the very beginning of this passage. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. And while that was prophetic of the Christ, because you are in him, you declare that same scripture over yourself without fear of it being arrogant. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. That's the basis. Can you say that with me? The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. I'm just going to end with this, that that scripture I said, Matthew 28, Jesus is ending his life and he's about to ascend into heaven. Please believe me this, that whatever the last words that he would share were pretty important. He said, all authority in heaven and in earth have been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. He did not say that all authority had been given to him, make disciples. There is a two-letter word that is spoken before there, and it is incredibly important. Go. Before you even make disciples, we have to embrace our identity. Because that's what Jesus was doing there, was speaking identity to the church he was leaving behind, just like the words in Genesis chapter 1 that spoke the world into existence and framed the material world we live in, words from the mouth of God, these words from Jesus framed who we are as the church, and it begins with go. And if we want to see this rebuilding of ruins happening, it will not happen. It's a pipe dream, apart from the church saying, yes, Lord, and going. Half the time, we don't even really know where to go or how to do it. You just do it. Just go. He finds it way easier to lead a people going than leading a people who are sitting. Can we respond to that? Let's. Thank you, but I really mean respond to prayer. <laughs> Let's respond to him, even right now. Some of you are in a quip. Many of you weren't. I would advise those who weren't and even those who were to hear these messages because it was so much of it without us even trying to prepare it. It was all about this very thing that we're talking about, taking the gospel. I just sense in this moment the Lord wanting to impregnate the many in this room to find somebody in the earth who would feel about the people around us in Nanaimo the way he feels about him, them. The Jesus that went to a cross that literally could have paid no greater price for their salvation, who would do anything for them to be reached and to come into the beauty of what we just described if he could just find somebody on the earth who would identify with that heart. And so let's ask him in this moment right now just to impregnate us with those desires for people. He says, ask of me and I will give you the nations of the earth as your inheritance. So Lord, right now, we do just, we, we stand in awe of you. We reverence you. We recognize your, your, your purpose is to make of us your instrument while we live on this earth, to see rebuilding happening and to see other people discover you. And Lord, we do just ask you right now for Nanaimo, 
We ask you for our streets, for our neighbors. We ask you, God, for our coworkers, for our colleagues, for the spheres of influence that you have opened up to us. Lord, we ask you for souls. Lord, we ask you for your heart, for people. Even in the midst of all our personal problems, we commit ourselves to you to not let those get in the way of our true mission, God. Lord, we ask that you would make us a people who would carry your heart for people. And we thank you that as we go, you are with us always, even to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen.